بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ جنوری ان الحمد للہ ویو کمپلیٹ ویک of the illustrious company, Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu And I've reached a point where I've mentioned that Sayyidina Hassan is now being laid to rest radiyallahu So Hafiz ibn Katir in his Al-Bidayah, in the chapter on the rule of Muawiyah radiyallahu he went on to relate about the burial of the illustrious grandson of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Masses of people congregated for his funeral to the point there was no space remaining in Jannat al-Baqi. The men and women wept for seven days. The women of Banu Hashim continued to lament over him for one month and they mourned him for one year. Although it is well known that he passed away in the year 49 A.H., Some maintain it happened in the 50th year. So there's a few details here. So how many people attended the funeral of Sayyidina Hassan? There was too many. The whole of the graveyard was packed to capacity. The men and women, their grief was such that for seven days, for a whole week in Al-Madinah, the people were weeping. So obviously it doesn't mean they were weeping together. It just meant that they were grieving over the passing of Hassan. And the women of Banu Hashim, I, his, his family, they actually grieved and people could see this for the month. <coughs> But in actual fact, the mourning probably lasted for the year, Ibn Katir said. And then there's a discrepancy. He passed away either 49 AH or 50. But it was definitely halfway through Muawiyah's Khalifa that he had loved him. Thawlab ibn Malik, he said, Rahmatullah, I was present on the day Sayyidina Hassan radiyallahu who passed away and was buried in Al-Baqi. The cloud was so huge that if a needle was to be dropped, it would have fallen on someone's head rather than on the ground. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his tabakat, 1-351, Al-Isaba volume 1, page 231. So think about that. If you drop something, it would hit somebody's head, meaning it was like, you know, like as tight as sardines in the modern phrase, right? I.e. there were so many people wanting to, you know, participate or be at the burial. In another report, it mentions, the cemetery could not hold even one more person due to the crowd. This is in Al-Bidayah 12-211, meaning it was full to the capacity. And obviously to pay their last respects to Hassan, radiyallahu So now who led the prayer? Who led the funeral prayer? Abu Hazim Rahmatullah said, I witnessed the funeral of Sayyidina Hassan ibn Ali anhuma in Al-Madinah. The Amir of Al-Madinah at the time was Sayyidina Sa'id ibn Al-As who had a strained relationship with Sayyidina Hussein ibn Ali anhuma. Sayyidina Hussein anhu poked Sayyidina Sa'id on his neck with his finger and said, step forward to lead the funeral prayer. Had this not been what the sunnah bids, I would now have not let you lead. 
سبحان الله سلسو كريس so this is recorded in Behaki Hakim and Sheikh Al-Bani Rahmatullah Ali stated Hassan in his Ahkam Al-Jana'is page 129 to 130. So it's an authentic report. So who was the Amir of Al-Madina at the time? So this is interesting. It wasn't Marwan Ibn Al-Hakam at the time. Nor was it Abu Huraira. There was another man. He was the governor of Al-Madina. Who was it? It was a companion. His name was Sayyidina Sa'id ibn al-As. I'll mention a little bit about him in a bit. But the report says there was a bit of tension between Sa'id ibn al-As, the governor of Medina, and Imam Hussein. There was a bit of tension. Why? Because Sa'id was Banu Umayyah. Imam Hussein was Banu Hashim. And Imam Hussein, he poked Sa'id in the neck. And he says, lead the funeral prayer for my brother. If it was not from the Sunnah, I would not have let you lead the funeral prayer. So look how interesting. Imam Hussain said, I'm letting you lead the funeral prayer for my brother. The only reason is, this is what Rasulullah instructed. It's the Sunnah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have let you lead the funeral prayer for my brother. So the scholars, they deduce from this. The Muslim ruler or his representative have the first right to lead the funeral prayer. Indeed, there is a consensus on this point as all the four Imams have agreed to this. So, who has the first right to lead the funeral prayer? The ruler. Now there's no Khilafat. So, you know, your guess is as good as mine. But if there's Khilafat, Amir al-Mu'mineen leads the funeral prayer. If he's there. If it isn't the Amir al-Mu'mineen, it's his governor. He leads the prayer. All of the Imams have agreed to this. So now, could you bring this down to the Imams of the local masjids? You can, but that's kiyas. <laughs> you understand? You, you can, but that's kiyas. And the reason I say that is because other reports indicate it should be one of the family members leading the funeral prayer. Why? Because naturally, even logically, he'll be more sincere. <laughs> so for instance, if your father passes away, who's going to be the most sincere in offering the funeral prayer? It's going to be the son. So it doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out why the son should not be behind leading the prayer. But if the son wants to step back, fine. <laughs> Maybe, you know, he's not comfortable. Or, so, first the ruler, or the governor, or the family member. In, and also shows Imam Hussein, even though he was angry, he never stepped across the Shariat. You understand? He told Sa'id, lead the prayer, otherwise I wouldn't have left you if he wasn't from the Sunnah. So Sa'id, he led the funeral prayer. How did he lead it? It is related that Sayyidina Sa'id ibn al-As wept bitterly during the funeral prayer. Because he just burst into tears. This is in Hakim in his Mustadrak 3-190 with a Sahih chain of transmission. So don't get the impression that Hussein poked him in the neck and he's now like angry thinking, okay, right, I'm going to lead it. He, he was weeping, meaning he understood, you know, there's a bit of tension. Well, he loved Imam Hassan and he was weeping uh, he profusely upon his funeral prayer. So now, who was this companion? <laughs> you know, you just hear the name, you think, okay, Sahaba, mashallah. But you should always say to yourself, I need to know a little bit about him to get a connection. So let me give you a few bullet points. First of all, he was nine years old when Rasulullah passed away. So, so he was a child. So this is why you don't hear his name at all during the seerah of the Prophet, unless you get a report with children attended. Secondly, he was respected and forbearing amongst the nobles of the Quraysh. 
So as he grew into manhood, he grew in stature. And the Quraysh had great love and affection for him as well. Thirdly, his generosity was legendary. Now what's interesting about that, he's Banu Umayyah. And Uthman was from Banu Umayyah. And he was known for his generosity. So Saeed seemed to have imbibed that. Very, very generous. You know, for instance, if I can remember correctly, every, one, one of the nights in the local masjid, he would give money to everybody who attended for Isha. Is anybody, anybody who attends for Isha, I will give them money. And they were, imagine, you know, people coming in, right? Obviously to pray, but what was his mindset? His mindset was, I'm not really bothered. I want them to come to the masjid. If money is what causes them to come, let them come. Let me ask you a question. Who follows that sunnah? Think about that. Any people say, oh, I, I love Sahaba. Yeah. MashaAllah. You know, is there any masjids that you know, not many people attend? Oh, there's loads. Right? Oh, there's one at bottom. Yeah, MashaAllah. So how many people attend? Uh, let's pick a salat. Asr. About four. And he goes, yeah, make an announcement. Right? What? You get anybody who attends Asr tomorrow? He gets a tenor. I'll guarantee you. Right? You know, there's going to be more than four people. But the funny thing is, when they attend, they'll be saying, oh, I've come for the pleasure of Allah. Maja, no problem. <laughs> right? You know, get him in first. And this was Saeed. You know, he was known for his generosity. Number four, he was one of the scribes who wrote the Quran for Uthman. So when Uthman gave the command to compile the Quran, make it standardized, <coughs> he chose Saeed ibn al-As to be one of them. He kept aloof from the fitna during Ali's Khalifa. So when the Ali and Muawiyah clashed over what to do with Uthman's murder, he kept away. He didn't say, well, I'm going to go with Banu Umayyah. My tribe is right. He kept out of it because I want nothing to do with this. Sayyidina Ali, radiallahu appointed him over Kufa. So look how interesting. He kept out of the fitna. He's Banu Umayyah. But this shows this is nothing personal. When Ali was Amir al-Mu'mineen, who did he appoint governor of Kufa? Sa'id ibn al-As. He led the Muslims in jihad at Tabrastan, northern Iran. He was a mujahid. Hazrat Muawiyah therefore appointed him governor of Al-Madinah. Should we find that strange? So when you hear that report, he goes, oh, another person became governor. And you think, okay, who's this? Because Sa'id ibn al-As. And this is what people do. They go, oh, mashallah. Great man. Wouldn't be great man. He's just making things up. You don't know nothing about him. Right? So notice, Hazrat Muawiyah was putting good people in charge. But because, and what's strange, he kept out of the fitna. And even then, Imam Hussein prodded him. Meaning, you know, maybe he thought he was also somewhat involved, but Saeed didn't take it personally. He was weeping over Hassan's uh, martyrdom. Muawiyah had such a love for him. Think about this. In Ibn Asakir in his Tariqh Demishq, Volume 7. Sayyidina Muawiyah was asked, who do you think should be the Khalif after you? Hazrat Muawiyah replied, as for the most noble of the Quraysh, it is Sa'id ibn al-As. Then he mentioned others. So Muawiyah was actually thinking seriously, because I think Sa'id should become the Amir al-Mu'mineen. Because he's the most noble. So he grew in such stature as a Muawiyah was thinking. Now why was he thinking of him? Because Muawiyah realized that because the Umayyads have power and he knew there were some unruly ones amongst them and they would not allow anybody else to take power. As a Muawiyah realized he was restricted to his tribe. He didn't want bloodshed. So who better to choose from within his tribe than the great Sayyid?
made absolute sense. So this is the, you know, you can see the political wisdom of this as well. But there was a reason he wasn't. Hafiz Zahbi in his Seer volume 3 said, a noble commander, generous, praiseworthy, gentle, pious, resolute, with a mind fit to be a Khalif. Subhanallah. So the great Hafiz Zahbi said all these things because he was a commander. He was generous, praiseworthy, gentle, pious, resolute. He was fit to be the Khalif. Why wasn't he appointed? He passed away two years before Muawiyah. He passed away in 58 AH and he was buried in Jannat al May Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with him. Amen. So note, he, now think about it. Do you think Allah Ta'ala will let any Tom Dick and Hadi read the janazah of Hassan? You've got to think the other way. This was one of the great souls who left the world. So Allah Ta'ala was, you know, he chose. Like I mentioned yesterday. It's Qadr. So imagine all those great sahabah there. Imam Hussein, Abdullah ibn Umar, Abu Huraira. Who was chosen? Sa'id ibn. So when you, somebody goes, who is this person? who led the funeral prayer of Hassan and wept. And when you go through a little bit of his life, you think, I didn't even know who he was, astaghfirullah. And there's the tragedy. You don't know who the people of paradise are. These are people of paradise, you know, subhanallah. So now, Abu Huraira, he was truly heartbroken upon the tragic passing of the beloved grandson of Rasulullah, because it is related. Announcing the passing away of Sayyidina Hassan, radiallahu Abu Huraira was weeping. He addressed the people in the masjid saying, O people, weep today for the beloved of Rasulullah has left this world. O people, weep today for the beloved of Rasulullah has left this world. This is in Al-Bidayah 12-211, Tahdeeb, volume 2, page 301. So look how touching. He's weeping. So he's in masjid and he's just crying and crying. And then he tells everybody in the blessed masjid, weep, the beloved of Rasulullah passed away today. So did he love Hassan? 110%. You've got fake reports, but we don't look at the fake reports. You can get your own version of history. I should have mentioned yesterday, it was the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Isa alayhi salatu wa is going to be buried next to the Prophet. I mentioned that yesterday. Well, there's something very interesting I forgot to mention. Aisha, our beloved mother, she had reserved that spot for herself. Why? There's a hadith. In Imam Malik's Muwatta, she had a dream. And the dream was a strange dream. She was in her dwelling and three moons fell into her lap. So she thought, what is this? So she asked her father, Abu Bakr, who was an expert in dream interpretation. She goes, father, I've had a very strange dream. She told him the dream. So Abu Bakr said, three of the best people on earth will be buried in your chamber. <laughs> then the report continues. When Rasulullah passed away, Abu Bakr then said to Aisha, the best of your moons has now been buried in your chamber. So now she's learned something from, she's had a dream. Three moons, the greatest people on earth. One of them is Rasulullah, 100%. There's two moons left. And what did Abu Bakr say? The greatest people on earth. So she's thinking, I'm not gonna, I'm never gonna, I'm one of the moons. 
I'm one of the greatest people. If my father passes, 100% he can be buried here. So what happened? Abu Bakr passed away. He was buried. So Aisha then said, the second greatest moon. Then she was now convinced. Think about it. I've had the dream. I'm not, I am not going to let anybody be buried here. Not because she didn't love the Sahaba. She was thinking, I have to be the, the moon. My father was the best person on earth. So what happened? Everybody would come, say, please, mother, if you don't mind, she goes, I'm sorry, because that space is reserved. When, like I mentioned yesterday or the day before, when Umar's son came, she sacrificed. So why now look at the sacrifice she's made? She's, she's basically, she's resigned now herself. I'm not that best person. Then there was one spot left, even though there were three moons, but she's thinking, okay, there's another spot. Her son wanted it. And then Qadr took place, and then Aisha will all be buried. So now, why is this narration very interesting? Why did Aisha have the dream? So the scholars say, because she was not going to be buried in the chamber. So Allah Ta'ala honored her by having the dream. If Rasulullah had the dream, there's no honor for Sayyidah Aisha. So Allah Ta'ala was like consoling her, saying, look, I have given you the dream. You have been given this gift. As if to say, I know you're not going to be buried here. But be consoled with the fact that you had the dream. Subhanallah. So I should have mentioned that yesterday. So now, let's turn to Hussein. As is but obvious, Sayyidina Abu Huraira love for Hussein was also immense. So let's look at this now. In Ibn Sa'ad in Istabaqat, volume 6, page 408, Abu Muhazim, he said, We once attended a funeral and Sayyidina Abu Huraira was with us. When we returned, the grandson of Rasulullah sallallahu Sayyidina Hussain felt tired. Thus he sat down for a while. So picture the scene. They've gone to a funeral prayer. We don't know where it is. Abu Huraira has attended. Also Imam Hussain They've prayed the prayer. They're returning. And Imam Hussain feels tired. So he takes a short you know, break. Upon this, Sayyidina Abu Huraira began to wipe the dust from the blessed feet of Imam Hussein with his shawl. But Hussein forbade him. He goes, don't. Upon this, Abu Huraira said, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if the people knew of the greatness that I know regarding you, they would not even allow you to walk upon the earth. Rather, they would carry you upon their shoulders. Aye, so why are you getting irritated by me taking the dust of your feet? Oh, Hussein. Subhanallah. So look how much love you had for him. But there's a very interesting thing he mentioned, which is very important for us to reflect on. How did he wipe his feet? If he had used his hands, even that would have been an incredible honor for Imam Hussein. He used the show. So Imam Hussein showing his love. You know, obviously you think, Uncle, what are you doing? He goes, don't do it. Then look what Abu Huraira said. Now, who is he talking to here? He's not really talking to Imam Hussein. He's talking to us. He goes, if the people knew the greatness that I know regarding you, you know, what Allah Ta'ala is giving me knowledge of 
of you. If the people knew that, they wouldn't even let you walk. Because they'd carry you on their shoulders. So the fact that you're walking and your feet are getting covered in dust, I have to wipe it. Now be honest. Do we know the reality Imam, Imam Hussein? This hadith indicates his greatness. A sahab of the status of Abu Huraira. Imagine, Allah, wiping his feet with his chadr and he goes, I wouldn't even let you walk if it was up to me. Now think about that. And what did they do to him? Toba in it. Right? Imagine. What did they do to him? The, the Abu Huraira is saying, if you knew, they wouldn't even let you walk. And they butchered him in Karbala. Allah. So what does that tell you about the Muslims? If you don't learn your deen, you become worse than animals. You become worse than animals. Astaghfirullah. His public love and affection for the venerable grandsons of Rasulullah would irritate Marwan, who erroneously thought this was a slight upon the Umayyad authority. So what happened? With all these public shows of affection, kissing Hassan on the stomach, wiping the dust off Hussein's feet, you know, weeping over them. Marwan's thinking, this, he's undermining my authority. <coughs> so don't forget the mindset. Nothing against Abu Huraira. But he's thinking, this is, you know, this is disgraceful for us. So what happened? <laughs> in Tabarani, Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 9, page 1, in one stated Sahih, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 5, 7, 6-7 of the New English Translation. Marwan once visited Sayyidina Abu Huraira during the illness which claimed his life. So Abu Huraira is very ill, coming to the end of his life. Marwan came to visit. Marwan thereupon said, Since we have been living with you, nothing has angered us more than your love for Hassan and Hussein. Astaghfirullah. <laughs> Imagine, he came out of love because he loved Abu Huraira. He goes, because we can't find fault with you. But just one thing, because that troubled us. Your love for Hassan and Hussein. So think about it. Abu Huraira is dying. Abu Huraira then pulled himself together, even though he was very weak. He asked, he goes, sit me up. So they helped him to sit up. And he said, now think about it. He's very ill. So he's, he's finding it difficult to get this across. And look what he starts saying. I testify we were once traveling with Rasulullah when he heard Hassan and Hussein weeping who were weeping with their mother at the time. So Abu Huraira, he's very ill, he can hardly speak but he wants this message to get across to Marwan and the Umayyad. He's mentioning an incident. He goes, I remember a time we were traveling and Hassan and Hussein are crying and they're with Fatima he thereupon hurried towards them and asked, what is the matter with my children? When their mother Fatima informed him, they were suffering from thirst. He grabbed his water bike to see if he had water, but there wasn't a drop. For water was extremely scarce in those days, the people were searching for it. So imagine, because they're thirsty, Ya Rasulullah. Your grandsons are thirsty, so he's looking for water, there's nothing. Rasulullah thereupon announced to the entire uh, contingent, does anyone have any water? Mm-hmm. Every person grabbed his water bag to look for water. 
Subhanallah, there was not a single drop. Think about that. <laughs> they're going on a campaign or something. And imagine, what, where's the word? This is how hard those days were. He said, Allah, listen, there upon post. He said to Abu Huraira, give one of them to me. Give one of my grandsons to me. When Fatima gave one of them from beneath the carriage, I could see her forearms as she did so. So Abu Huraira goes, she was that concerned because I actually saw her forearm. Rasulullah then took the child and pressed him to his chest. But the child continued weeping, it wouldn't stop. So he's trying to console it, but like a child does, you know, he's just crying. The Prophet then paused again. Subhanallah. He then took out his tongue. Took out his blessed tongue. And the child started suckling on it until it was pacified. Indeed, I did not hear him cry thereafter. <laughs> so stop in the report. So what do we do? In America, they call it a pacifier. In England, they call it a dummy. You put a dummy in a child's mouth or a pacifier, it stops, stops crying. What was the pacifier of uh, the grandsons? Rasulullah's tongue. And look how interesting. They didn't just, you know, even though it's just a child, they start, you know, suckling upon it as if they're taking something from it. And Abu Huraira goes, subhanAllah, goes, the child stopped crying. In the meantime, the other boy was still weeping. Pass me the other one. Requested Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa When the other child was passed to him, he did exactly the same. They were now both pacified. Subhanallah. Indeed, I did not hear either of them make a sound again. Abu Huraira said, Rasulullah thereupon ordered, let us now move. Meaning, we need to get back to Al-Madinah. Because we were traveling with women, we the men moved from side to side and I was able to meet up with Rasulullah later along the path. Then look what Abu Huraira said. O Marwan, how can I not love these two when I have seen Rasulullah do this to them? So look what Abu Huraira is trying to do even on his deathbed. He goes, Marwan, what's the matter with you? He goes, look at the love Rasulullah. I'm trying to show to you how much he loved them. He couldn't even tolerate them weeping. It hurt him. He goes, You're, you want me not to love them. And look what he said. Imagine he's dying. Don't say on his deathbed. You was a great person. If only you didn't love Hassan and Hussein. And Abu Huraira is dying. Imagine and he's thinking, I've only got a bit of energy left. But I'm going to use it upon this. He goes, sit me up. And Marwan, imagine the situation, he's thinking, what's, what's he going to tell me? And he told him this, because another thing that you probably didn't know about Hassan and Hussein, he goes, they had the pacifier of Rasulullah's tongue. You know, think about that, how many people can say that? Of so-called Rasulullah's tongue. And what was being passed on to them? They're the flesh and blood of Rasulullah. Now they're suckling upon the tongue of Rasulullah. So the And after that, Abu Huraira, subhanallah, it was not even a little whimper. As if they're fully satiated now. So what happened to their thirst? Do you get water from somebody's tongue? What was being provided to them? From the tongue of Rasulullah. And these were children. But don't forget they were being passed. There was only a year difference between the two brothers. Ten months, not even a year. So they were both very young at the time. 
And Abu Hurairah, notice how close he was always next to the Prophet. Yeah. So, he goes, Marwan, he goes, how can I not love these two when I have seen Rasulullah do this? I notice Abu Hurairah, he wanted Marwan to get that stain out of his heart. He goes, don't die with that stain. In other words, he knew, I know this is politics. I know. But why are you getting involved with this? He goes, take it out of your heart. Make sure that you have love for the grandchildren of the Prophet So what I mentioned today was again, by the great name of Abu Huraira, who was mentioned, now with the honorable mention of Imam Hussain. And lo and behold, as if we needed to know, he had great love for Imam Hussain. But tragically, people say they love the grandsons of the Prophet. What do you know about them? You, know, you can't just say, I love them. You know, that's like an empty statement, slogan. But when you actually get to know their status and how much the Sahaba loved them, you realize these are something else in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And don't forget what the Prophet said, love my family due to your love for me. This is in Tirmidhi, Hassan Hadith, meaning if you love the Prophet's family, you actually love me. So all those ashiks are there, you go to, are you ashik? You know, people just say as if it's like, yeah, I'm ashik, right? Name me the children of the Prophet. Then they get confused because I'm ashik of Rasulullah. Who are you asking about his children for? The Prophet said, if you love my family, you love me. That shows that you love me. And where do you start with first? Of course, his sons and his daughters. And of course, his noble grandchildren. Subhanallah. Are there any questions?